2: Hey, Derek here. Just to let you know, today's episode contains some fresh language, specifically swear words and strong opinions. Irish words, words from Ireland. I'm Darren O'Shea.
1: I'm Patrick O'Donoghue, and I'm Geraldine McAvoy.
2: And you're all very welcome to our hot gale summer.
0: That, that is an extremely online reference.
2: <laughs> it's a little bit. Do you, do you want to tell our, our older, sure li- listeners what that means?
0: I'm, I'm not sure I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Geraldine, do you know what a hot gale summer is? No.
1: No, I don't know what a hot girl summer is Therefore I don't know what a hot girl summer is And I'm too embarrassed to ask I'm the guy on the bus who doesn't know what a tracker mortgage is I don't know what a hot girl summer is
2: Yeah, I think it's got something to do with it being hot And the girl being hot And something like that And it being summer
0: I'm delighted that you have not let this ignorance Stop you from using the term And the fact that you're proceeding Balls out into this mimetic ambiguity So congratulations podcast dad That is. That's
2: a good online thing you did. Well, the the important (laughs) thing to remember is that it is a hot, it's a summer of hot takes about Irish. (laughs) Specifically, the the phenomenon of silly season goes back to the early days of the daily newspapers in the United Kingdom and elsewhere, where in the month of August, when parliaments were down, when, uh, when... Various sports were kind of in, in between major tournaments. There was less sport news and there was less political news. And also the big major courts were closed. And the newspapers needed to fill, fill copies somehow. Mm. So they often found certain perennial bugbear to- topics or other amusing stories of interest like the fish cannon. The fish cannon.
0: I am fish so... Cannon- here for the fish cannon. I'm I want <laughs> I want to develop I want somebody to develop. I don't have the wherewithal to develop it myself, but I want somebody to develop a future amor sized human uh, fish cannon so that we can all commute in comfort and style.
2: It is the technological solution to the border that the Brexiteer has been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> we're, to, we're just going to hoosh you over the border. Dunk. <laughs> Where are you going?
0: Oh,
1: I just want to I just want to talk to the fish after he gets hooshed over a big dam and like ask him, is he okay? like like what, how do you get back? like I just want to know about his life, like <laughs> did he have family on the other side? Is this an escape like what what is this?
2: I just saw a lot of fish queuing at this. I had to join the queue.
0: I thought they were selling drugs. <laughs> fish always have that sort of what the hell just happened to me? Look on them anyway, so do they
1: have a a fishy look
0: huh? <laughs> <laughs> get out. Get
2: out. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's funny you should ask, but <laughs> Oh no.
0: No, no, no. Get, get no, out that's out. it. Stop the podcast. No.
2: <laughs> okay. No.
0: Listen, it's been a good run, but that's <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> so, some of us are uh, some of us are being fired to fish cannons and having a great time and <laughs> but others of us are down here on dry land reading some really um Whack takes on the on, on the Irish language in the newspapers. I guess a lot of columnists feel that during the month of August they can they can whack out a lot of um, a, 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 a lot of kind of a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, shite, provocative. Shite. The word you're looking shite. for is
0: shite. <laughs> they can whack out a lot of shite about the Irish language in August because there's nothing happening. Love Island is finished. The Premier League has just started back up. There's this lull. There's this gap that you were talking about, and it's just full of
2: shite. And we're going to um, we're going to put that shite under a microscope today <laughs> <laughs> to examine the the you shades know. of shite. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to put it under a microscope and see how runny it is. Specifically, we are going to look. I, I we have gone through some of the some of the writing since, since, the, since the summer about, the, about various Irish language-related topics, we've broadly categorized them. We're, and I'm going to, obviously, myself, Pater and Garaging have very strong feelings on these things. We're going to be as, as succinct and factual as possible when we go through some of these topics. So we're going
0: to try not to defame people
2: <laughs> yes, if that's in any way possible. Okay, we're going to go through these, and and because of the, because there's so many, we're going to try and be, you know, relatively brief. Anyway, I'm going to start off. Hot Gale Summer begins right now, and the first point that comes up a couple of times is, compulsory Irish breeds resentment. Eamon Delaney, uh, the author of An Accidental Diplomat, <laughs> and the former editor of McGill who tried to develop, wanted to have a um, right-leaning um, weekly magazine in Ireland, and... A correspondent who often kind of falls on that side of the Fa- house. Founder
0: of the Hibernia Forum. Yes. A shadowy lobby group. Uh, and a par- The relevance
2: of which will become
0: clear later. And apparently he's a fan of Ronnie Drew. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a fan of the fact that Ronnie Drew didn't do most of his singing in Irish. For some reason, he feels that that's <laughs> relevant. This piece says that the Dubliners didn't have to sing in Irish. And isn't that great? They had the choice not to sing in Irish because apparently... Being a successful recording artist that's famous internationally is exactly the same as sitting the fucking leaving cert. <laughs> exactly the same. Okay. And that's the metaphor Delaney's using. Oh, it's God. exactly Do you know what? I'm the s- same.
1: I'm so tired. I'm so tired <laughs> of this. Like like I'm t- I'm so fucking tired. Like that's just the oh God, stop.
0: Somebody stop. Okay. Can I, can, oh, my God. Can I just get to the nub of the point that they're trying to raise? They say that compulsory Irish breeds resentment. That's not grounded in fact. It's just not grounded in fact. The majority of students currently in the education system, the majority of people aged between 17 and 24, actually, have a positive disposition towards the Irish language. The majority of people who went through the Irish language system, over 50%, have are not the Irish language, is the Irish education system, even in English. And who suffered Maria yeah, compulsory Irish. It doesn't breed resentment in them. Compulsory Irish breeds resentment in middle-aged columnists who did the leaving cert ten or twelve years before the current crop of leaving cert students were born. And I just wish someone would just just be brave enough, just have the cojones to just say, I didn't like Irish. Not it breeds resentment among that's not grounded in fact. It's just not true and i would just love it if we applied the same rigorous standard of fact checking that we're supposed to apply to the media to columnists like this who decide to spend their august saying everyone hates irish no no they don't and the other thing yeah. is everyone fucking hates school anyway <laughs> yeah so like when you you start offering kids the chance to opt out of subjects they're going to take it if somebody told me that i didn't have to do maths i'd have bitten your hand off but it doesn't mean i i it doesn't mean i resent maths or yeah, so it, Eamon Delaney's point is that, um, and it's a weird one, because in this article that was published on published in the print edition on the 12th of August and online the previous day on, on the 11th, um, in The Independent, uh, his point is a bit of a weird one because he says that the Irish language movement is flourishing, that the Gwaelskulin are flourishing, and that loads of people love Irish, but simultaneously at the same time, it's all a big pretense and we're pretending the Gaeltacht are bigger than they are, and we're pretending that more people speak speak Irish than they do. And uh, every single kid who does compulsory Irish resents it. So it's a bit of a weird one. It brings to mind Schrodinger's Gaelgore, You yeah. know, Schrodinger's Gaelgore yeah. being the uh, the shadowy the, the the shadowy elitist who uh, doesn't want you to join his elite club, but at the same time wants to shove Irish down your throat. <laughs> so it's it, you know it's just oh, it's this <laughs> nonsense of of. And again, it's just, it's filling time. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's not even the worst thing in the article. So, I mean, we haven't even okay. started
2: on that. Yeah, so, I mean, you have touched on a point which we're going to come to shortly. But first of all, he raises another key point in this article, which we're going to get to next. And he, there's a direct quote. He says, the Irish language lobby are like the NRA in, the United, in Ireland, are like the NRA in the United States of America, not the National Roads Authority, the National Rifle Association he's referring to. <laughs> no politician dare cross this cranky lobby and so we persist with the idea, for example, that the Gaelic areas are bigger than they are, and that Irish is a working language of the EU. Specifically, now it's important to point out in the context that in the in days after significant shootings in the United States, uh, to compare any organization to the NRA is a fairly um, is a dark, fa- fairly yeah.
0: it's fucking tone deaf. Hmm. That is literally yeah. the best thing that can be said about that is that it's tone deaf. Giving Eamon Delaney the benefit of the doubt and assuming that he's a well-intentioned person, all we can say is that was tone deaf. The worst case scenario being that it was deliberate Mm. and it was chosen in order to vilify and to make people who advocate on behalf of Irish language rights To make them out to be abhorrent and the villains. And I say this as someone who speaks, I mean, obviously I'm affected by this because I was literally on the radio talking about Irish language rights and about compulsory Irish and about recent studies. And this is all that we're in week three or week four now of this debate that's born out of one sentence, one sentence in a report around mandatory and compulsory subjects. And the, the sentence in the Irish Times report the day after this forum was held on subjects for the Leaving Cert, it said there were mixed opinions about the Irish language and its compulsory nature. That's That's all it said. It said that. We're now into week four of the should it, shouldn't it, should it, shouldn't it. And not one person is interested in dealing with the scientific backing for that, like as to why... What even the cultural reasons as to why Irish is a compulsory language at all levels in the education system, like mm-hmm. like for Christ's sake. And
1: I think that's the most frustrating thing for me. It's that it's the same tired arguments constantly. Like, but all three of us have surely been on like radio shows or like have been asked to comment on this repeatedly against these same tired arguments that are not one, like there none of them are based in fact or in like. Peer-reviewed research—it's some fella's opinion, and I'm supposed to to put, uh, you know, some sort of like scientific argument or like sensible argument against some fella who didn't like reading Peg one time forty years ago. And it's just so frustrating that these these same arguments keep coming up, and you're supposed to take them uh, in reality when they're actually not based on anything but some fella's opinion. And mad opinions at that. I mean, mm. I wouldn't even dignify that comparison with a response because it's just, like you said, so tone deaf. Uh, like, I, it's, it's so gross in this day and age to say something like that. Yeah. Again, if you're going to give the benefit of the doubt, maybe you're just trying to, like, evoke a response. Um, I don't know. But, like... Come
2: on. There's also there's an implication now that that unless he thinks that the Irish language uh, Irish language activism shouldn't have any lobbying or activism themselves. If he thinks that maybe by comparing them to a, a, a nasty lobby group, is he suggesting that well that they they should conduct their business in a different way? Is it, that that's hard to take that seriously if he doesn't actually like what they want to do at all? The implication that Gaelicists are, are going about something the wrong way does suggest that there's a respect for the goals and oh I wish you just do things differently I but, as, Yeah, I, uh, I don't even think that yeah. as the
0: founder of a free market libertarian think tank like the Hibernia Forum maybe it's a compliment maybe he loves the NRA <laughs> and he thinks you know what the Irish language group they're just like the NRA they've got politicians in their pockets I wish we had politicians in our pockets. I wish I wish we were one cohesive lobby group like the NRA. <laughs> yeah. And I wish politicians were afraid of us because then the the wouldn't be the poorest areas in the country. Then investment per job in Gaelic areas wouldn't be less than any other place in the country. Then you wouldn't have, I read this article just recently, um, Somebody got a quote from Irish Water of 67,000 euros to hook their house in the Gaeiltocht up to the water mains. Like, how in the name of God are we supposed to save the Gueltucht if it's going to cost you 67,000 to get running water into your house? Like, young people can't stay in Gaeiltocht areas. Mm -hmm. They just can't. Like, there's no broadband, there's no jobs, there's no investment, there's no services, there's no shops, there's no post offices, there's no public transport, there's no hospitals, there's no doctors, there's now no guards. Like, there's like yeah. if we were some shadowy lobby group that politicians were afraid to take on, the Gaelic wouldn't be in the shite they are, and and that's the, and that's the fact of it. So just just give me somebody who knows what they're talking about, who wants to tell me that Irish is shit. Give me somebody who has the facts behind them and wants to tell me that Irish is shit, and I listen to them all day long. But don't give me this nonsense it's... like Garradine said the same shit thirty years ago because somebody who did the Leaving Cert in fucking 1704 <laughs> had a teacher they didn't like. <laughs>
2: I know, yeah, I think, I think you're kind of right there. I think I imagine when, uh, when Eamon Delaney did the, um, did the Leaving Cert, I, I'd say, so I, I suspect Bananarama was still releasing new music. But anyway, the third... Set <laughs> S- your definition of alt? Because <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the third point that we, we have identified, or I think that, that this has um, been reported on a bit, students, Leaving Cert students and future Leaving Cert students have been surveyed and are against it. And this is referring more recently to the NCCA survey earlier on this year, which identified mixed views on, or a, sp- a spectrum of views on Compulsory Irish. But
1: Imagine that. People have a spectrum of views. What? I what know. is this? People have different views?
2: It's let's, let's
1: write some more articles about that. You
2: know yourself, I mean, it's, I just find it funny because even like within, like there's a spectrum of views within the motherfucker or team. <laughs> There's a spectrum of views within, like within head stuff. There's a spectrum of views within your group of friends, and the implication of that a spectrum of views indicates that the negative ones have more weight than the positive ones.
0: Can I can I can I go yeah. to the report that everybody's talking about? Because it's sure. funny how this is. It's funny how this has um, snowballed because yes. it started off with there was, uh, you know, there was a mix of opinions. Mm-hmm. To now, more recently, the students are against it. Um, many students felt that Irish should be an optional subject. Uh, I don't think it's essential, like, you're not going to use it after you leave school realistically. However, others highlighted the importance of retaining at least some exposure to the language for students. I think it's really important for Irish students. The culture of Ireland, I think people should be able to speak Irish fluently. That's, that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the beginning and the end. That is the analysis of Irish as a compulsory subject. They have quoted two students, one for, one against... And that's it. And now we have people going Oh, they're all against it. It's like again <laughs> sweet, sweet crumb dove, god of death give me
2: patience. <laughs> okay. So the next one and this bit- <laughs> It's Moving fairly swiftly. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: I will point out as well that like they surveyed the schools as well and like only 4 in 10 only 40% think that English, maths and a foreign language should be compulsory. But you don't Get these headlines going 60% of schools are against compulsory English.
2: Listen, Patter, I know that every day I check this, I check the, what, what the surface area of a cube is. <laughs> every day. I, I was wondering I what think your job a good was. It's been nine in...
1: years <laughs> since I've used Pythagoras' theorem. A good nine years, I, I'm willing to say. I don't know how many triangles I've had to like, find the angles of in, in the last nine years, but I'm pretty sure it's zero.
0: But, but you know you know what the square and the hypotenuse is equal to and that's just there.
2: It's just there. I mean, it's, good, it's equal it?
1: to the sum of the square in the other two sides. <laughs> You're like, damn right <laughs> it is. I
2: don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, moving swiftly on, um, the Ed Walsh, the, the, the man of the University of Limerick guy, um, he is, a, you know, he's, um, he has a, a lot of opinions. He is a, a man with opinions. And he's a
0: man replete with opinions.
2: And, you, you know, University of Limerick, let's all say, you know, very fine university. Class campus Oh yeah An absolutely class campus Shout out to the
0: UL Vikings Absolutely class campus
2: But When when Ed Walsh isn't base He says to, Suggesting that we fire all civil servants He has some opinions in Irish And <laughs> 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 One of which is the <laughs>
0: Wow Okay <laughs> That's where we're starting this
2: one Alright <laughs> um, I, I, The Irish language did better Under so-called British oppression Than under the devil era Of devil era I'm not sure if he uses like, <laughs> I think Oh my god Is Walsh just giving Garrodine an aneurysm <laughs>
1: Jeez Sorry I've been occupied By the spirit of devil era That's what's just They <laughs> and devil era Have occupied my spirit
0: <laughs> Garrodine is no longer here
1: Jeez well, I mean
2: First of all, I mean, I'm sure, like, because UL has a great reputation for science. Um, even I mean, a guy like Ed Walsh who will respect the fact that during the um, so-called era of British oppression, that Irish was starting from a higher point that declined, whereas during so the beginning of the Free State and of the education, the Irish language education mm. system was starting from a much lower point. So, it suggests that it was doing better under British rule. It isn't based on empirical comparisons.
1: Yeah, it's it's just so not comparable. It's comparing apples and oranges. It's completely a different thing. One, now we have a fucking formal education system that, you know, we didn't really have under the Brits. We were being educated in hedge schools. Like, sure, maybe the the system was better than, I don't know, I don't have any statistics from them. They weren't really great at filling in the census forms back then. But, like, I I just... It's so uncomparable. And just from a... (laughs) from a do- an academic research point of view like poor like that's that's some poor research right there
0: I I think like yeah I'm I'm inclined to agree that like it is poor research but it's not it's not research it's not it's not an academic paper it's an opinion piece in a in a uh, you know in in the media in the the summer of hot takes and shit takes but my only question for Ed is like um or for Professor Emeritus Walsh give him his due What's your point? Like, like, honestly, it's like saying the dodo was doing better, you know, when the Dutch first arrived than Mm. it was when they killed the last one. Like, you know, one of the biggest problems we have in our history, and, and, you know, I got to give props to... uh, a really, really interesting show called The Ten Dark Secrets of 1916 by Paddy Cullivan, uh, known to one and all as the lead singer of the Camembert Quartet and uh, the Late Late Show house band. Uh, He does this show, or did this show rather, um, called The Ten Dark Secrets of 1916. And he points out that one of the things we did at the foundation of the state was keep the civil service and keep the education system that we had. So the idea that Irish did better at the start of... Pierce's so-called murder machine than 60 70 years into Pierce's so-called murder machine because we didn't fundamentally change much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that that's probably true. And De Valera's policy of basically enshrining the geographical areas in which Irish was still spoken as the predominant language at the time didn't do incredibly well because of success of governments afterwards because of a lack of investment in Gaeltacht areas as we've even discussed earlier on this podcast. But at the end of the day, what is Ed's point and how is it relevant to today?
2: I guess he's basically saying that he doesn't like compulsory Irish and he doesn't think it's been a success, but I mean...
0: Well, he's got a fucking roundabout way of saying that.
2: Yeah, he does. <laughs> Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale
0: The Irish are a nation of storytellers and Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast, is having its very first live show at Bellobar on August 22nd. The Fireside session's beginnings will be an evening of folklore, mythology, some true tales and even a few tunes. Sure, it wouldn't really be a session without them now, would it? Join me, your host, Kevin C. Olihan, and some very special guests of storytellers and musicians for an intimate and entertaining evening of what the Irish do best. No, not that, although we do hope there'll be a few of them too. August 22nd, Bellow Bar, Dublin. Tickets on eventbrite.ie forward slash the Fireside Sessions Beginnings. Follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard and we'll see you all round the Fireside.
2: The next point I'd like to talk to is, um, oh, yes, this is uh, earlier on the year, shortly after the local elections in the examiner, Jared Howland, uh noting the um, noting that a number of recently elected councillors came from uh, who had attended a number of school, and he attributed the popularity in the Social Democrats and the Green Party to the new new metropolitan elite uh, basically suggesting that you know that that girls and, uh, and and to, to another extent educate together represent a a um a hypocritical middle class elite of people who um are maybe are not as as who don't realise how snobby they appear to the rest of them normal people like him.
0: Yeah, normals. It's yeah. always us yeah. School's that are we're <laughs> marginalising those normals um, all the time.
2: It's um, I I just see now. I am um, I'm not sure what school um, Mr. Hale went to. I know, like I went to a Jesuit school uh, called Gonzaga, and and in, in Dublin Six, it's it's a very nice school. Uh, but um, I I don't. I you had, think, you, had I, a,
0: you had a perfectly ordinary, run-of-the-mill, fee-paying private education. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: And like, and yes. Yeah, so, so you could you could so say maybe the,
1: you're not the one to comment on
2: this. No, I, but th- this is the very point. I think that like it's. I mean, if you think girls' uh, gone and Judge uh, together schools represent kind of a, an elite with a certain with a certain foot foot in a door that you can't get into because you're Jared Rowland, um, that's. I mean, <laughs> if you're a former government advisor. Jared if Howland. Yeah.
0: There, there is there is, there is a grain of truth in something Howland was saying at the time. And I say this as a Green Party county councillor who went to a Grail School.
1: One of the people he was talking about, effectively.
0: One of the people he was talking about, yeah. <laughs> um, my Grail School uh, produced five county councillors in this last election. Four on South Dublin County Council and one on Dublin City Council. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two greens, one Fianna Fail, one independent left socialist, ecologically focused councillor, and one uh, people before profit. Like that's a good spread across the Irish political spectrum.
1: Yes, N- notoriously, notoriously from like well-to-do backgrounds, all of those yeah. parties. Yes, like Th- those the- are the political elite parties. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, no the- offense to any of those parties who I do vote for.
0: <laughs> but like the, the the thing about it is like. That girls' school is in Clondalkin. It's in it's in a very mixed area. Parts of it solidly working class. Hazel De Norton, who went to that school, is now a sitting councillor in Ballyfermot, a socialist councillor in predominantly working class Ballyfermot, who went out, worked her arse off, canvassing areas that don't traditionally vote, getting people who are living in social housing estates and getting hap tenants out, getting people personally affected by the housing crisis out to vote and to suggest that she's part of some shadowy elite, like to have a former government advisor suggest <laughs> that she's part of some kind of elite movement because she went to a grail school, it's, it's just honed out. It all comes back to this. It all comes back to this David McWilliams book where yeah. he decided to profile grail skull and picked, and picked one in Randall.
2: Are you referring to, um, to your sceptic black rock graduate, uh, David McWilliams? He
0: had a perfectly ordinary... Fee-paying <laughs> private education, just like the normals of he, the world.
2: I remember he was on Miriam meets with his wife, and he was saying that uh, the people outside Black Rock, you know, who hadn't been, who hadn't been educated there, didn't didn't completely understand what a spectrum of society actually went there. And he based this on the fact that some <laughs> b- big big thickos were given rugby scholarships, and therefore it's a spectrum of society. So before that vein on your fireburst padder I do want to point out that the the implication that elitism um, that because the schools he mentioned are specifically the non-Catholic or non-diocesan schools. And like the snobbery has been a part of Catholic education in a very big way. Archbishop McQuaid himself was a former headmaster of Black Rock. And that's where he kind of learned his skills there, and made these connections.
0: There's a mentality in the Irish media at times, certainly among opinion writers, that people who sort of raise their heads above the parapet and say, I don't want a Catholic education or I don't want an English language education or I don't want the default, what we've yeah. had in the state for 90 years. I don't want to send my kids to one of the 96% or thereabouts of schools that are Catholic schools or the uh, 92% of schools that are English language schools. That They're uppity. Mm-hmm. To use a very mm. in America a very racially charged term, but here a very socially charged term. Yeah, that that's the kind of eliticus uh, uh, elitism, eliticus askeilga that that this refers to. That these people have ideas above their station, and they should just do what the rest of the poor's do and send their kids to so called normal schools, and then that's it. They can they can basically they won't bother me because I'm sending my kids to a fee paying secondary school. They won't bother me because I'm I'm able to purchase my way out of it but for you to demand uh, a certain type of education off the state mm-hmm. that well that's that's notiony and and you are the real elitist and and frankly i reject that and yeah it really fits yeah i think me it off.
1: it represents a very mm. specific view it's not even a dublin centric view i think it's a south county dublin centric view with respect to like a the leafy part of South County Dublin um, view that <laughs> says that the girls' school in a, that you find in that part of Dublin are elite because all the schools in that part of Dublin are elite. So I grew up in uh, rural Leash, and the only girls' school in Leash was a primary girls' school. Um, and for the entire time of my second level education, and it's actually only quite recently, I think maybe in the last four or five years, um, but the girls' school in Port Leash was uh, based in prefabs they did not have a building so there was no building for these students to go to they took classes in prefabs that were freezing cold during the winter time and it was a really small school because they had literally nowhere to go and recently they got themselves a building but after years of trying and it's just so frustrating that people who exist in this wealthy bubble who see kids going to like you said kids from like like normal backgrounds going to girls going to see them progressing and say well you just want a better life for yourself you're trying to jump up class how dare you like this is not where you belong you don't belong in this and i have a problem with that but again no problem sending my kid to the fee pain school in wesley or wherever
2: and a lot of this i think is down to the perception that there's um that there's there're two get girls going uh, in in it with, a, with a with a dublin 4 catchment area and that that do very well. In There's a Cloughstown and Cloughdeesigan. Cloughstown and Cloughdeesigan would we'll have maybe a um, have a catchment area, and some people see them have and get outstanding leaving results every year. And that those stories, and the, because the, that isn't the story for every single Gaelic in the world. The fact that it's the only ones you've heard of to, because of where you because of where a person comes from doesn't mean that that is that, necessarily representative of like c-
0: Down and Cloughdeesigan were kind of trailblazing. Um, yeah. they they were among the first Gaelic Skull in it. Um, certainly among the first guy uh, at but they weren't the first by any means. And, yeah. and you look at the work that educational advocates, like, like for example, Kathleen Maud, uh, put into uh, trying to get Irish language education throughout Dublin and throughout Ireland, the majority of the success stories are way outside these, you know, southside bubbles, like Clondalkin, yes. Tala, Ballymun, mm. um, Fairhouse. Uh, there's just, there's so many areas that would be you know working class to lower middle class to middle class without being in these so called leafy suburbs and and yet we go back constantly to this idea and again it just comes it, it comes back to the media and it comes back to the role the media have to play in portraying things and if you're going to go with lazy tropes yeah if you're going to accept lazy tropes as your starting point then then that's what you get you end up with Jared Howland being able to write and say that educate together and Gail Scullin are elitist concepts and not be questioned on it, because because that's where we are. If you have the facts behind you, if you have, you know, if you have a grounding in some kind of statistical analysis of the situation and you want to come back and say, well, actually, I found out that 65% of uh, Grail School students do have notions, Patter, uh, <laughs> then that's fine. Then That's fine. Let's talk about it. But if your grounding is this commonly held idea that Grail School and uh, are elitist, well, I'm I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's wrong and you need to rethink it.
1: It's the second, uh, second aspect of Schrodinger's uh, Irish speaker. We're both elitist and get all the jobs, but we're also Peg, who live on an island and have no <laughs> place in modern society. Like it can't be both.
2: Yeah, so, so we're moving swiftly on. I think we've uh, we've we've given that one a third one. We are going to do a a deep deep dive episode into the history and um, modern experiences of Irish medium education soon. So. Do keep an eye out for that. Oh, Derek's mouth is right checks. His ass is going to have to cash. Yeah, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that one. Uh, the Peg photo. The photo of Peg. Oh,
1: God. Jesus Christ. Ma- Let the woman rest. <laughs> Christ.
2: The The photograph of Peg put put next to articles about current Irish language education policy is a bit like putting a photograph of Paul Gascoigne next to an article at the premiership.
0: It's even worse because Paul Gascoigne is still relevant to the Premier League. Peg, is no, but here dead. I only know who
1: Paul Gascoigne is because his daughter was on Celebrity Big Brother one time. So uh, wasn't it Love Island one and the same?
0: Was <laughs> no, it Love Celebrity, Big Celebrity Big
1: Brother. Big Brother? Yeah, she was great on it. Was she? Loved That's it. Bianca Gascoigne.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Bianca.
1: Yeah, she's deadly.
0: Peg, the book Peg yep. by Peg Sayers, came off the Leaving Cert syllabus. Two years before many of the current Leaving Cert students were born. It's just it's just not relevant. It's like picking a book. It's like fucking soundings. It's like putting a picture of soundings onto the nobody nobody has read soundings in a million years. If you did soundings for the Leaving Cert, I'm really sorry. You're old.
2: You cut me deep, bro. Like I am, yeah, I'm bodying you. <laughs> you cut me deep bro
0: but it's like it's just it's so ridiculous and and like the reason and as gardine rightly says let the woman rest in peace like peg is it's not even a bad book the majority of people who use an image of of peg they haven't read it if they did read it they half read it for their leaving cert which like have you ever come back and read any of the texts that you um, that you did for for any language for English or for anything like that afterwards? When you don't have to study them in a in a Leaving Cert context,
2: completely, it's a completely different experience.
0: Yeah, Beth, they're unreal. Mike Beth absolutely slaps. It's yeah. class. A lot Mike of Beth is unreal, and I hated it when I was eighteen. I hated it because I had to write these essays about it.
2: Oh well, fuck off, your burning wood, you prick. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a direct quote <laughs> me, circa two thousand and three
2: <laughs> Jesus what you can wipe the spot off the the, the, blood, the spot of blood off if you use a bit of bicarb anyway, <laughs> anyways, but the, so I think we are all agreed yeah, that that the, the, the trope of the peg photograph is a statement of intent when it's next to an article about, the, about I the think artist. there should
1: be a fine for using peg when you're there should be some sort of fine, and the proceeds should go to like i don't know some like impoverished Gaelic community or all of them, every time you use Peg, a picture of Peg, or some relative says to you, oh, you speak Irish, He says, God, I never liked Peg in school. And I'm like, I don't know, Auntie Maureen. I never read Peg because I'm not a million years old. Like, stop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there should
1: be a fine. There should be a Peg jar, like a swear jar. Every time you mention Peg, you have to put money in it.
0: Yeah, and that money goes to rebuilding Peg's house on the Blaskets. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Excellent idea. Excellent.
0: We will create an island paradise on the blaskets eventually and it will be paid for by the Irish Independent and the Irish Times putting 20 quid a time into the peg jar.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's going to be an article about the Rugby World Cup with a big picture of Keith Wood next to it. Again. More relevant. More relevant, like, you
0: know what I mean? He's, he's, I remember Keith Woods. <laughs> he's like, Keith Wood is not dead. Like, you know what I mean? And Keith Wood played in his most recent World Cup more recently than the book, Peg came off the leaving cert, like you know what I mean. Keithwood, Keithwood was like the player of the tournament in the nineteen ninety nine World uh, yeah. World Cup. Peg was not on the syllabus at that stage.
2: Yeah, River Phoenix is still alive when people were last studying Peg.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. Checks well, out.
2: Well, yeah. Like, <laughs> I had to think back What year was that? 95? 94 94 I oh think Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll double check that But anyway The next the next point is <laughs> Oh no, we won't We'll won't. <laughs> just leave it out there <laughs> yeah, we'll, Tweet we'll, us We'll let our, our listeners do, do, <laughs> I do,
0: do, don't want that. to
2: Google it Tweet us
0: what year River Phoenix tragically passed away <laughs> Okay The I next point
1: Specifically tweet me Who River Phoenix is Because I don't know who that is
0: Ah oh, I, I hear guess. Oh no
2: It belongs Sorry. in a museum <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> River Phoenix was
0: the young Indiana Jones in the in the pre credits uh, scene of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but he was a he's a very promising young actor who was tragically taken far too young.
2: Best known for Stand by Me, I'd okay. say.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good well, movie.
2: Great movie. And so the the next point, and this is I know this is garaging this and it's close to your heart, is that compulsory Irish is unfair to children with um with extra learning needs due to maybe a. a Uh, learning difficulty or condition, such as ADHD or dyslexia.
1: Exactly. And And I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, And I I understand that uh, many people, many advocates for dyslexia have have come out against Irish as compulsory Irish. And to an extent, I agree. I do not think that every kid, that, that compulsory Irish for kids who have learning difficulties is beneficial. However, I also don't think a blanket exemption is very helpful. And I i mean, I use my own experience as an example. Like to think that kids who have dyslexia, as I do, in the form that I have it, which is quite mild, would have been exempt from Irish and would have been completely deprived of all of the opportunities that I've had in my life because of Irish. And not just like opportunities that like financial opportunities or like educational opportunities or whatever, but like actual like, opportunities to like build a social life or to make friends or to have experiences that have changed me but not necessarily increased my bank account like those experiences to have them denied for me because a box was ticked that said that I didn't have to do Irish Um, so I do think there's issues at play Um, I think it's frustrating to see the assumption that Irish is a difficult language for kids with dyslexia because there is no research to back that up I do agree that the way we teach Irish and I'm not blaming teachers one bit. I'm blaming the curriculum and the way we do it is not necessarily susceptible to a dyslexic person because of all of the learning and the transcribing and not teaching a language is really difficult. Um, but I've said it before in, in an earlier edition of the show. Um, I talked about how I don't think it's particularly uh a difficult language for a dyslexic student and just my own example that happened quite recently in the last like couple of months I've been doing a lot of transcribing of of interviews I did for my research and I interviewed a lot of people in Irish and a lot of those people had like words that I'd never encountered before or they had like a dialect that I wasn't familiar with and it was the first time I'd ever experienced it where I was transcribing something and I was so say I came across a word that I'd never heard before but I just knew how to spell it and I put it into folklore and I'd be like, oh, that's what the word means because I innately knew how to spell it because of the way it was sounded. And that has never happened to me before in any language. And it was just such a lovely moment for me to to feel that way because I'd never felt that before. Like when I'm spelling something that I haven't seen in English before, like sometimes I spell it so poorly that not even Google is like, did you mean? Google's like, we don't know what the fuck you meant. Like, sorry, yeah. we're not, <laughs> we, we can't help you here. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, like I do a lot of work with um, like deaf people and in the last while, kind of like I have a lot of like deaf friends or, or people I know who are deaf who've contacted me asking or told me that they're learning Irish because uh, kids in deaf schools uh, don't learn Irish. They've been exempt for a very long time. And it just made me really sad that there's this whole cohort of people who've been deprived for, for very many different reasons of opportunities in life, nothing to do with the Irish language, but they're also deprived of that small connection to Irish culture that everybody else has. So when they're on the Lewis or when they're, you know, going to a public building and there's signs in English and Irish, they don't have access to the Irish ones. And like, this is a a group of people, a community that are deprived of access in so many different areas. And it made me so sad that we just assume that because you're deaf, you don't get to have Irish because you're not able for it. And telling somebody that they're not able for something or they can't do it because is just... I just think it's so wrong. Um, So I do think there's problems with... uh, some people, I'd imagine there are some people who maybe use dyslexia as an excuse to get uh, exempt from Irish, but does that not speak to a larger problem about the difficulty of the education system? Like, we're putting kids under huge pressure to score well in exams that are not fit for purpose. Like, that's the problem. It's not Irish. And I've yeah, ranted I, enough now, probably. My,
0: my, my, um, my, my thoughts on this one are fairly simple and straightforward. Like, why is, why is it only Irish? Yeah, you know what I mean. What 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 makes mm-hmm. what makes learning Irish more difficult or more inherently unsuitable for people with learning difficulties than French or German or English? You know, they're all languages. It's all literature. It's all so there's. It sort of gives the lie to the Eamon Delaney article we were talking about earlier on. Like that, there is no pretense that Irish is a spoken language like there's no the department of education and the government are not quaking in their boots at the thought of the Irish language lobby coming to get them there's absolutely no pretence here there is there's literally nothing available for people for whom Irish is their first language and they have a learning difficulty or any kind of disability that means that they they can't access the same education system as everybody else in the area if you're a first language Irish speaker and you have dyslexia I was reading threads uh, on Twitter um, over the last couple of weeks about people who literally had their disability questioned yeah. because they chose to carry on with Irish because it was their first language. Like there are no deaf people in the Gaeltacht. There are no blind people in yeah. the Gaeltacht. There are no people with special needs in the Gaeltacht. There are nobody there is nobody growing up through the medium of Irish with any kind of educational needs. That is the statement being made by the Department of Education. That is the pretense and and it and it sickens me it it's really really upsetting and this is not to take away from anyone anyone at all who feels that their own educational difficulties necessitate an exemption from Irish that's fine that's absolutely fine and there has been a readjustment of the rules that's the article we're talking about there's been a readjustment of the rules to allow um the principal to have the final say Uh, based on a standardized test instead of an independent psychological assessment, which was negatively affecting people from disadvantaged backgrounds because you know the way the public system is. You could be waiting two years to get the results of that when you needed it immediately. So people were paying 600 quid, which they didn't have to get a psychological needs assessment that that would give them the exemption from Irish. So I'd welcome the fact that it's not going to disproportionately affect poorer people. But, like, we all know, like, we, we had to, I mean, look at this education system, look at us as a country, look at parents, look at the way they talk about the education system, look at all of us, we all have to have a long, hard look at ourselves. We couldn't bring in continuous assessment as part of the Leaving Cert, because everybody knew that if the teachers were marking their own students, it wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't be transparent, and it wouldn't be right, there would be too much pressure put on by parents onto teachers who are already overworked who already don't have the resources and it wouldn't be a transparent marking system and now we're saying that the answer to this major major problem we have there are too many people struggling apparently only with irish that we're just going to let it up to the principals to tick a
2: box and... patter Pat, are you suggesting the private schools who base their who price their fees based on league tables released in um, in newspapers every year are you suggesting they might have a conflict of interest in in giving people exemptions from Irish or from marking their own pupils? No. (laughs) Uh, I am. Question mark. I am. I'm I'm certainly suggesting (laughs) that they have a conflict of interest. Of
0: course it's in a school's interest to game the system in such a way that their students achieve the top marks. And the top marks are not given based on how many subjects you took on. In fact, if you take on fewer subjects and concentrate on those... You have a better so yeah. If you offer a student an exemption from something, and they're under tremendous pressure to attain high points in the leaving cert, look, it all comes down to what do we want out of an education system. I feel like I feel like I am just banging my head against the wall whenever you try and talk about this. Like, do we want to create a system whereby people get as close as possible to six hundred points and get into college? Everyone, literally everyone, goes to college. Everyone does STEM you know the year is 2040 everyone's an engineer and nobody knows how to grow a potato or do we want to do we want to have a system that creates rounded citizens who have an appreciation of the country that they're in no matter where they come from they have an appreciation of 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 the world in which they live and the country that they're in and the heritage and the history of that country because that's what i want i want to create better more rounded more informed citizens i want to have an ireland that is basically more inclusive and and that is not attained by this ridiculous points race and this pressure that we're putting 18 year olds. I'm 35. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And we're asking 18 year olds, <laughs> 17 year olds, to like, first of all, you have to attain uh, incredibly high marks in this really, really difficult thing the leave insert. If anybody has listened to this and they haven't done the leave insert, right, it is the most difficult thing you will ever do in your life, ever. Like, without a shadow of a doubt. The Lean is the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life. And if all goes according to plan and all goes well, it's also the last time you'll have to put that much effort into anything you hate. You know, it's just, it's a terrible system. It's a terrible system. And... Oh, Christ on a bike. Guardian. you're over in Finland. We respect the Finnish education system. We look at the Finnish education system with envy. More compulsory subjects, not fewer. More languages, not fewer. And far less standardised yeah. testing. Like, what's yeah. it like over there?
1: Um, I mean, we, it's actually almost nice in a sense that, like... Uh, so I recently did an interview with a Swedish language newspaper about my research in Ireland. And I had a load of... Um, Finnish uh, s- trolls on Twitter tell me that compulsory Swedish was discriminatory to Finnish speakers, which in a sense was kind of nice that they exist in other countries as well. It's not just us, you know, I felt a little bit like uh, twee there. I was like, oh, nostalgia, cute. Um, but so there is an argument that, that somehow, uh, you know, Swedish is a negative uh, language to learn. But like, In terms of of education, while there is problems in the education system, I mean, when I listen to the problems that they exist here, I mean, they're just not comparable. I mean, like you said, I'm doing a PhD right now and it is monumentally difficult, but I still have stress nightmares about my leaving cert because for me, it was everything. It was the most important thing that I did well in that leaving cert. And it was such a negative time. I would like never do it again and the way I see students here who like choose to okay they have to do a certain amount of of, they have to do uh, Finnish uh, presumably maths uh, um, Swedish um, and uh, maybe English also but they do a lot of like like other stuff as well there are some compulsory subjects but like they have no pressure I talked about it in the Finland episode like there isn't like the same pressure that we have on students to achieve a grade it's more about like making yourself into a better person which we really don't get and I think it's so problematic when you say to a student who may have a learning difficulty and may be really conscious about the fact that they're different and that you say to them well you can't do this you're not able for Irish because you're ex what is that student going to think well I'm I'm not able for it so I'm not going to do it so you limit them so much and I think that is the biggest problem you're telling a kid you can't do it without ever asking him do you think you can do it and I think that is the the, the underlying problem that we have to stop telling children that they can't do something because they are a certain way and boxing them into certain roles it's just so wrong and so archaic and needs to change
2: yeah and we're going to have to leave it there for today obviously the, these topics are going to keep coming up in the meantime we will um, we will look forward to catching up with you next week and, um, and if you read, read an article about Irish or if you see a headline about Irish in a, in a paper just uh just don't at me. Don't <laughs> at me. Just yeah, don't tweet don't do do me about it. I don't
1: want to know about it. I'm so <laughs> tired.
2: In the meantime, we will wish you a big a slant from me.
1: A from me. And a slant from me.
2: Catch you next time. This
1: has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. There's a mentality. I think. I think. What? There, sorry, there, sorry.
0: Sorry. Sorry, Guardian. Yeah. Look. There, there's a mentality. Um, I... oh for fuck's sake. Right.
1: You. You take it. Sorry. Then. Um. Fuck. What was I gonna say? <laughs>